So it's sort of constantly evolving and we're always learning new ways to sort of engage with our customers and learn from them. But I think we're trying to figure out more on the success side of things is how to anticipate and not just do the things that people are directly asking for, but figure out the unrealized need that's sort of at the top of the pyramid and giving people what they didn't even know they needed. You're listening to Caffeinated with host Nathan Resnick, the show where we help companies level up their customer service to turn this expense into a profit center so you can increase revenue and drive customer happiness. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Caffeinated brought to you by Caffeinated CX. My name is Nathan Resnick, your host, and today we are joined by Mary Beth from Knowledge Owl. Mary Beth, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So first question we always ask is what kind of coffee do you drink? So I have a right now answer because I'm in like day 37 of 75 hard and I'm doing a special diet. So I only get one cup per day. So now that I get one cup, I'm just doing my like Starbucks pod with some sort of like special creamer. But yeah, that's not my normal thing. Got it. There we go. Well, 75 hard. That is amazing. I actually uh, did that. I think two years ago and it is an incredible incredible challenge i recommend it to yes. everyone and that's that's amazing so as we get started here i want to learn more about your journey learn more about you how did knowledge owl come to be i mean where did the idea stem from oh so this is the 30 second version um so i was the director of customer happiness at another company called surveygizmo they're now called alchemer and i was running their whole support team and i was a teacher before that but we did these ideas of internal startups at the time, and Help Gizmo was this idea of an internal startup. And it was going to be a full-service help desk software. Those little internal startups never really got off the ground, but our support team brought it back as an internal knowledge-based tool. And our documentation gal liked it so much, she started using it for the Survey Gizmo documentation, and then suddenly it came back to life. And they're like, oh, man, we could bring this to market as Help Gizmo. So I took over as sort of product owner of that, and eventually they wanted to shut down the product and rather than just shutting it down and sending me back to support they're like you want to buy it and that's how i accidentally ended up as an entrepreneur and the chief executive owl at knowledge owl and i have been helping people build knowledge bases since 2015. wow wow that is that is incredible so when knowledge owl was first starting was it really you know, just, hey, here's your knowledge base. Here's how you host it. Here's how you put it together. Now it's evolved into so much more. I'm curious, how has that journey been in terms of helping businesses really create the best knowledge center, you know, knowledge base on the internet? Well, it's sort of interesting because we have a support background and that's sort of all we know is just talking to customers, listening to them and then fixing bugs and building features based on what they say. Uh, we call it customer-driven development, and that's what we've done so far. So they've really guided us and told us what they needed. So I think when we first envisioned it, we thought we were going to be you know, knowledge-based software for other software companies. And very soon we realized that was one use case for KnowledgeL, but a lot of other people wanted to use us for their internal documentation, their SOPs, their company documentation. So it's really been a journey of just listening to customers and figuring out what they need and then helping them do that. So it's, it's really evolved in my, because like I didn't come into this knowing like what knowledge management were, was, like even that it was an umbrella or what help authoring tools were. I was just familiar with help desks and sort of the built-in knowledge bases. So I've been opened up to this whole other world of technical writing and documentation, but coming from a support background, that's sort of my jam. And those are 
oftentimes my favorite. Got it. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like for those leaders listening that are in support, you know, a lot of people here listen to your customers, right? But what does that like truly mean? What does that actually mean? I know as an example at Caffeinated CX, we create a private Slack channel for each one of our customers and actually ask uh, those leaders to add their support team members to that channel as well. So if they have any feedback on caffeinated CX, they can just message in on Slack and say, Hey, you know, have you thought about doing this with macros or doing this with, you know, a thank you type of automation? And that's how some features, you know, come to be in terms of listening to customers. But I mean, I'm curious, would you just interview early customers? Like what does listening to customers actually mean? Well, so coming from a support background, and like I'm talking serious support, not success, it's all reactive. So we were listening to people that were talking to us. So the people who were in trials that were asking, like, hey, do you have this feature? And if we didn't, we'd be like, do you need it? Because we can build it, right? We're small. We can pivot very fast. So it was a lot of listening to people in their support tickets. So like when they had questions about the product and building what it is. And so as we've sort of matured and started doing more of the success style stuff and being more proactive, it's looked like starting to do annual customer surveys where we try to hear from the customers who don't necessarily talk to us and getting their feedback as well. And more recently we did ideal customer interviews, which was very different for us because we tried to find the people who never contact us and are using it and being successful and finding out their stories and listening to them as well. So that has helped fill in some gaps. So it's sort of constantly evolving and we're always learning new ways to sort of engage with our customers and learn from them. But I think we're trying to figure out more on the success side of things is how to anticipate and not just do the things that people are directly asking for, but figure out the unrealized need that's sort of at the top of the pyramid and giving people what they didn't even know they needed and trying to figure out what that is. Got it. That's awesome. So you said you were the chief knowledge owl. So I feel like a lot of people are going to ask, well, what is, the best knowledge base, what does the best knowledge base look like, right? And how do you set that up? Because I feel like so many people in support, you know, they want to have a really strong knowledge base. They want to guide their customers to their knowledge base to find those answers that they're asking before, you know, it becomes a ticket. But how do you really put that into practice? And how do you organize or set up your knowledge base in a way that makes people, you know, find the right answers in an effective way? It was like a million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> so first thing, it's chief executive owl because I felt very much an imposter like when I took over a company. So I didn't want to be like the actual CEO because if I was an owl, it didn't sound as serious. So it's chief executive owl. But to answer your question about the knowledge bases, how do you build the best knowledge base? I think you need to know who your knowledge base is for. Like what is the vision for your knowledge base? Like people think of it like a project, like I need to go just set up a knowledge base because that's going to solve all my, my problems. And they think of it like a project and not a product that's going to constantly evolving. And I think one is a mindset thing. is like it, you need to think of it as a long-term thing. It is how you capture and serve whoever your audience is. And for support teams, there's sort of two main types of knowledge bases. There could be the knowledge base for your customers that your support team also uses. And in that case, you sort of have two audiences there. And oftentimes there's just an internal knowledge base for your support team. And I think the best thing you can do for either one of those things is to have someone who champions the knowledge base, who is really looking after it as a product and seeing how people are using it, finding out what they're looking for, finding out what they need and making sure people can get that, you know, the right place in the right time. I think the best 
the best measure of a knowledge base, internal or external, is are your is your support team using it? Because if they're not, like, what good is it doing? Like, your primary user for an either knowledge base, internal or external, should be people are using it all day long. And if it were to disappear for five minutes, your Slack would be blowing up, your email would be blowing up, it would be an emergency because people would rely on it so heavily. Makes sense. How do you think teams go about finding gaps in their knowledge base? I mean, I know in the support driven community that we're both a part of, there's been questions asked of, you know, is there a way to to find gaps effectively in my knowledge base based on the customer questions that are coming into my support desk? I mean, it seems like some companies have this as like a full-time role where it's just to organize and manage and update a, a company's knowledge base, which is, you know, great at the enterprise level, but, you know, to dedicate a full-time team member to a knowledge base seems like a lot for, for many companies. And so, you know, I'm curious, what strategies have you seen be successful when it comes to finding gaps in your knowledge base and really prioritizing those customer inquiries to figure out, you know, this is a gap that we should fill. So it is always a luxury to have somebody who can just do this <laughs> all the time. Um, early on, I was a really big proponent of like the agile concept of like just in time documentation. So whenever you're replying as a support person, like taking the mindset is that I don't want to have to answer this again. So I want to reply with a link to documentation that solves that problem which is really good if you have the time to actually create the documentation at that point in time. So if you do have the time, I think building that as a process is amazingly helpful. Whether it's just like a quick Loom video, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just having the knowledge, even if it's not made public for your customers, but that other team members can use it, you're just saving your future selves time. So I think figuring out that sort of process where you always try to include some sort of knowledge or documentation in your reply can just be of a game changer for teams but once you get busy you don't always have the luxury to create that documentation on the fly um so what we actually do internally is we have a field in our we use help scout and we track whether the we, we, it's required so we track whether it was solved by documentation whether the documentation needs to be updated whether it needs external documentation internal maybe it needs a video so we have all of these different things we can just tag it as and it's really quick and we're never going to get to all of them but we come together once a month and review them as a team and then pick some of them and address them so that we're at least addressing some of those things and some of those gaps where we might need documentation or be missing it or, you know, need a video or something. So creating small processes like that. A big question that we always see in support driven too is like, how, how do you measure success of your knowledge base? And there are certain measures that can show gaps too. So like one of my favorite ones is searches with no results. So like, where does your search completely miss the mark? Either the search returned zero or people didn't click on them. So where are there clearly gaps? And even if you pick like a, just a couple of those a week and work on them, you can absolutely do that. Makes sense. That's a great answer. I think a listener favorite question here is what is a horror or superhero support story? So this could be anything that comes to mind where support had a big screw up, either, you know, you messaging uh, as a customer to a company that you work with or your own support team or a superhero story where your support team or a company that you are a customer of their support team went above and beyond for you. I love, I love both of these questions. Uh, my, I originally got into the SaaS world by, by responding to a Craigslist ad that was looking for customer heroes. So I really identified with the idea of support as heroes. 
I think over the years that's changed a little bit, like maybe don't be a martyr. But early on in my support team, like we called them the support heroes and everybody had their support identity. Like I was the survey goddess and I'm now the knowledge goddess, but everyone had their own identity and everybody had capes. So I just want to say that I really liked that. That was when we had support in real life and we weren't remote and I really enjoyed being a superhero. But horror stories, mine usually involve the phone. So like whether or not you do phone support, often the phone. But I think the, the lesson is the same. I remember somebody on my team, um, you know, you get one of those customers that just keeps wanting to talk to the same person over and over again and whatever they email or if they call, they're like, hey, can I talk to this person? And so it was like, you know, somebody called and said like, hey, can I talk to Rob? And then, you know, one of my teammates who's now like, she's like a director level, she's got up, but I think she still probably remembers this deeply is, you know, she put them on hold and turned, you know, in front of everybody in the team and said, hey, Rob, your girlfriend's on the phone. And then she went back to like talk and the woman was like, do not ever call me his girlfriend again. And I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh, that was really terrible. So yeah, um, make sure, and I've had multiple of those where somebody on my team said something out loud without somebody on hold and it is just absolutely mortifying, <laughs> mortifying. But similar thing is like some people will like type out their vent frustrations in an email and that's never a good idea. Don't put it in there. You're going to send one one of these days and that's going to be absolutely horrifying. Totally. Totally. That, that's, that's so funny. And, and it happens, it happens more often than people think, right? I mean, it's <laughs> those horror stories come up a lot. I, I, I want to ask because so many people are thinking about AI and support. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on AI in general and how does that, you know, affect customer support teams? I'm really excited. I'm super optimistic about what's going to happen in the next year. Um, for the past couple of years, I mean, definitely being a knowledge-based tool, people are like, I want a chatbot. I want a chatbot. And I was like, chatbots suck, right? Like you have to train it. They don't get it. Like they don't, they think it's just going to magically work and like going to like index all your content and just give people answers. And that's not how it was working. So for years, it was just one of those things like, eh, and then suddenly, you know, ChatGPT four is out and suddenly this is like very much a possibility. So I'm really excited for how it's going to both help customers help themselves faster, but also I can see so many implications for support. I was just thinking about today, what if we could like, use you know, a large language model to index all of our past support tickets. So like as a founder and like, I'm sure other founders, you know, can relate. I do the majority of the sales and support and I have like eight years of knowledge stuck in my head and in these conversations I've been having with people. And if I could train something on there and suggest responses, how much faster would that be? Not just for me to stop answering the same question over and over again, but also all of my teammates as well. So that's, I mean, that is one thing I'm really interested in. I want to train something on our style of support because I think it can help new owls or new teammates get like up to speed much faster, help individual people just answer things questions because, you know, a lot of times we're having very similar conversations and just having that as a starting point could be such a lifesaver. That's awesome. That's, that's, yeah, I think that's a great answer. I think, I think AI is, is here. It's growing, I think for kind of that tier one, you know, very, low tier support, it, it can be very beneficial. I think when it comes to complex questions, AI can get lost, right? So uh, it's been interesting to see. And I think those kind of historical chat bots that had those kind of if then type of statements and crazy workflows are, are a thing of the past. And 
you know, they're a lot more dynamic now, which is awesome to see. As we wrap up here on Caffeinated, the final question that I like to ask is basically you get to ask yourself a question. So this is a time where you think about what listeners from, you know, large support teams or executives from different support teams would be interested in, in answering and hearing. And so I don't know, Mary Beth, what comes to mind of what's a question that you would like to answer, but this is a time where you can ask yourself a question that you get to answer. This is an excellent question. Do I get to ask you a question too at the end? No, you, 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 you're the one answering. Okay. So I will, um, I think one of the questions I hear people ask founders a lot um, is what would you have done differently? Like what's a mistake you made that you would like tell other people so that they can avoid the mistake? And I think this works for anyone as well as founders. I would very early on and very often and not stop being involved in the community, like going out there and like, you know, if you're in support, joining support vision, like driven, going to conferences, meeting new people, connecting with people outside of your organization. I think there's a tendency and there's a comfort with, so with staying sort of, you know, in your little bubble, just doing your thing, especially when you stay at one company for a long time. And there is so much knowledge and value out there in the community and in listening to other people's stories, whether that's, you know, through a blog or a community or an event or a podcast. And there's so much out there and you can save yourself so much time and make so many amazing connections and grow as a person if you put yourself out there and, you know, make friends. That's awesome. I love that. Well, Mary Beth, thank you for coming on Caffeinated. If people want to get in touch and follow you or learn more about Knowledge Owl, where can they find you? Oh, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I didn't used to be, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm definitely in the support-driven community. You can find me there. I'm just Mary Beth Alexander. And then I'm just Mary Beth at knowledgeowl.com if you want to shoot an old school email. I love to connect. Awesome. Sounds good. Mary Beth, thank you again for coming on Caffeinated. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode.